Well, today we're going back to Isaiah 61, and I'll read the first few verses, first three verses, but I'm stuck on verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. Now, the one who is speaking is the servant of the Lord, who is Messiah. Okay, these are part of the servant songs of Isaiah. He goes on to say, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting. And so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Let's pray. Father, as we consider the words of this prophet who is just so filled with hope, but also of warning, we pray, God, that your word would burrow down into the heart. Father, every heart here, and that each of us would be open to receive what the Holy Spirit has for us today through the words of Isaiah. We pray, Father, that you would continue to prepare our hearts for the celebration of Christmas, and that we might be able to open our mouths and talk about the fact that It's not about the gifts. It's not about all the festivities. It's really about celebrating the birth of the Savior of the world. And uh, help us to be vocal about that, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. So the first verse, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. And we talked about that bringing good news to the afflicted, and that that affliction that this one is experiencing cannot just be looked upon as like a physical affliction, although that comes into it. But there's a deeper spiritual meaning here, and we're not spiritualizing the text, we're taking it at point and face value. The deeper and spiritual meaning is that that afflicted one is one who has come to the end of themselves and they've given up. They've given up. That takes place in the heart of every person that has finally decided to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as the forgiver of their sin and their, their personal Savior. Um, and, and that's a hard place to get to because we're so filled with human pride. It's very hard. And sometimes God whittles us down to nubbins before we finally give up and say, take my life. I, I, I've made a mess of it. And that, that's what being afflicted or low in heart would be. And then he goes on to say, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What is brokenheartedness? Now, as I enter into this, I have to do it with great caution because this text of scripture that we have before us is very solemn. It's actually a private space that I'm invading, and I'm daring to tread in, and before we even begin, I want you to know that I'm not doing so lightly. There's been much prayer that's gone into preparation of the message and the content. 
Because when we speak of such weighty matters, matters of the innermost heart of people, we're speaking of a very delicate and fragile matter. Uh, Because, you know, all of us, I, I used to love my job down at Grace Community Church because I was a pastor of local evangelism for a number of years before I became the pastor of missions. And um, I had, I had uh, chaplains that went to the prisons and they'd always tell me, uh, Jojo's getting out of prison this week and he's going to be at Grace Church. Well, Jojo was in prison for 20 years because he killed his wife. And I loved to see him sitting with the chaplain because he looked just like the rest of the people in the church. He didn't have murderer across him or anything, but I knew who he was. And you know what? We're all like that. We all come, you guys all look great. I mean, you look really great, right? But you know your heart, and God knows your heart. And so I have to just preach out the word of God and trust the spirit of God because I can't see your heart. I don't know where you're at. And this is, this is weighty. This is difficult territory to wade into. But the Bible speaks of these things. And so with the help of the Holy Spirit, I too will speak of the depths of our human experience today. And as we look at the target that this good news is for, namely the afflicted and poor, like I said last week, it's also for the brokenhearted. It's a message of hope and comfort for the brokenhearted, just like it was a message of hope and peace for the afflicted last week. Because there are in this world and in this church people that are in pieces. They don't look like it from the outside. People of them shattered and by one event or another in their lives, and the result is that they're no longer whole. They're not healthy. And their lives are in disarray and sadness and sorrow. And for them, once there was an order to their life, and now there's chaos. Once there were sunny days, but now everything's all gray and drear. Once they had friends who understood, and now trouble is their only companion. And once they woke with joy in their hearts, but now they're brokenhearted. And, you know... It behooves us, don't do it right now, but the person right next to you may be a brokenhearted person. So it's good for us to be in church together. It's good for us to look at one another, to talk to one another, and to interchange, and maybe some of that brokenness will begin to show itself a little bit, and you can enter in and help. Isaiah's words are meant to bring hope and comfort, even for brokenhearted people. He prophesied that one would be born who would bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus, you do know, is a great physician. We don't talk a lot about that, right? Um, We're not a Pentecostal church. We're not a charismatic church. We don't lay hands on people and heal them. Okay? But there is someone that can do that. And his name is Jesus Christ. And we can't forget about that. Jesus is the great physician, so great that he can gather up and mend it a brokenhearted person. Now, don't forget, it's the sick who need help, not, not the, the healthy, right? Jesus taught that in the New Testament. Only the sick need a physician, he preached. And if a person denies that they're sick, if they refuse to admit to themselves or to God that they're not healthy, but they're sick, 
then they see no need for a physician. Churches are filled with people that think they're fine, just fine. And the people that Isaiah was preaching to considered themselves to be just great. Things were going well for them. But he told them that if they didn't repent and truly come to a saving knowledge of their Lord and Savior, okay, if they didn't listen to God's word through the prophet and begin to respond properly, that there would be a 70-year captivity that they would come to. Judgment would come upon them. And 100 years after this man preached these things, that fell. And they went into captivity for 100 years. I don't know if we... It's so hard for us to grasp things we read in the Bible, right? I mean, how many of us here have been taken from our homes to another land that doesn't speak our language and everything that we loved was destroyed? Any, anybody here? Well, Israel was. And for 70 years, they lived in a land that did not speak Hebrew. And their very, very blessed city of Jerusalem was in ruins, and their temple where they worshiped Yahweh lay in ruins for 70 years. Now, the cause of being brokenhearted are many. There's a broken heart of deep, deep, deep sorrow and grief. The broken heart of regret for things not done. You can have a broken heart due to things that were done to you. That shouldn't have been. There's a heart that has been broken by a friend, someone that you loved, or a family member that you trusted, who utterly failed you. And there's a broken heart because of sin that's been perpetrated against you or because of your own sinfulness. But let me give you a definition of what a broken heart is according to the Bible. The word used in Isaiah 61.1 for brokenhearted is one word, shavir, shavir. And it means to break something down, to crush it or wreck it. And in extreme, extreme cases, it means to literally break something by shattering it. That's why I tell you, this is a deeper meaning than just being um, in a breakup with your girlfriend, okay? That's a broken heart too, and I don't want to make light of that. It really hurts. I still remember breaking up with my first girlfriend. Oh, I thought it was the end of the world. My dad got worried about me. I just sat down in my basement and listened to sad songs. Breaking up's hard to do, right? But that's not this, that's not this brokenheartedness here. So one who experiences Shavir is one who is overwhelmed by trouble, who has a deep feeling of anguish and even despair. To be brokenhearted is to have a loss of hope and acutely feel the loss of that sense of well-being. Like I said, we're not whole anymore. We're not healthy anymore. One man, Gerald Sitzer, who was an associate pre uh, professor of religion at Whitworth College in Spokane, Washington, lost three of the most important people in his life in a tragic automobile accident. On a dark rural road in Idaho, he stood helplessly as his mother, his wife, and four-year-old daughter died before the paramedics arrived. 
He was devastated and grieved, and his heart was ripped to shreds over his dying loved ones and his three deeply traumatized surviving children that stood at his side. Four years later, Sitzer wrote honestly and eloquently of his long, dark night of the soul in a book entitled, A Grace Disguised, How the Soul Grows Through Loss. And he penned with the insight only such a tragedy can bring that catastrophic loss will either transform or destroy us. It either transforms or destroys us, but will never leave us the same. Uh, That's one who knows. And that's a testimony of a man whose heart was broken through the tragic loss of his loved ones, but it is also the testimony of a man who experienced the truth that Jesus binds up the brokenhearted. You see, when we respond to the things that break our heart, truly break our heart, and we respond in a biblical way to those things, either by repenting and asking God to forgive us for our sins, or in a way of thanking him that he will never leave us or ever forsake us, then we can be transformed even through tragedy. You see, loss like Professor Sitzer's relationships, loss of homes and family and friends, and I I can't help but think of all the Christians in Israel. You know, there are believers in Israel. (laughs) They're not all secular And they've experienced losses. How about Palestinian Christians? There are those too. We had one of their pastors, Pastor Hanna, here, didn't we? He had a church right on Gaza Strip. So they have lost everything. I'm sure that they're displaced. How about hurt? Maybe embarrassment or humiliation of being slighted by others. Confidences have been exposed, slandered, or gossiped about physical hurt, emotional trauma. These are all very real, and it can leave in its wake hearts that are just shattered. Desertion by loved ones or a loyal friend that betrays you, a family member, fathers or mothers or children, those we place our trust in to be there aren't there. Poverty, and I, I, you know, Friends, we're, we're sitting in the lap of luxury right now. We really are. And, and in this church, we, we try to look out for those amongst us that maybe are going through a hard time financially. We look out for each other, right? How about the time when we can't look out for each other and we can only put our arms around each other and pray together and cry together? Okay? That'll be a good time. Do you know why? Because everything else is stripped away. All the facades are gone. And the real is here. Illness, that sudden announcement, a debilitating disease, rendered incapacitated, physical pain, struck down in the prime of life, severely restricted from that moment on. Everything changes and you're broken. These are the things that come in life, okay? All these things are part of living on earth, and anyone can experience any of these things at any time. I don't want you to dwell on that, because it's it's frightening, (laughs) isn't it? It's frightening. And such are some of the natural causes for broken hearts. 
But there's another cause for brokenheartedness, and, and this is the one I want to focus on, is the spiritual cause. When the Bible speaks of a broken heart in relationship to spiritual realities, it, it always identifies sin as a culprit. In the case of David and Saul, you remember King David and Saul? If you're familiar with your Bibles and you remember um, Saul was the king even though David was inaugurated as king. He was anointed as the king of Israel while Saul was still the king because God had in his plan to remove King Saul. And the selfishness that Saul exhibited, his kingdom was being wrenched from his hands, and he didn't like that. And the greed, Saul enjoyed being the king, and he enjoyed being before the people. And the pride that Saul was so proud, it's not hard to identify why he tracked down every move that David made. He chased David down, trying to kill him and remove the competition. Saul's desire was for continuous power, and it drove him to persecute David and throw spears at him even. And caused David's heart to break. He once wrote, I am weary with my sighing. I am weary with my sighing. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all day long. And I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Now that is broken heartedness. That is the kind of broken heartedness that God is talking about in Isaiah. That's found in Psalm 6. And also, excuse me, Psalm 38, 6. But it's also true of David's own personal sin broke his heart. You remember David? He was selfish. It was his selfishness that brought him to seek another man's wife, Bathsheba. He was greedy. Nathan identified David's greed when he recounted the story of the rich man with the many flocks, explaining how the rich man stole the poor man's ewe lamb for himself. David was greedy. He was filled with lust. Certainly David burned in his lust for Bathsheba. Filled with pride, it was the height of hubris for David to think that he could send the husband of Bathsheba to the front lines and to his death and get away with it. And power, it was David's own sinful heart that cried out to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this thing, stealing that little ewe lamb, he should die. I love that story. I love that story because Nathan told him that story and then he just said to him, you the man. You're him, David. You're him. And it broke him. It broke him. So whether the the source be natural or spiritual, it's safe to say that many have experienced and are presently brokenhearted. Here's where Isaiah 61, or 60, yeah, 61, 1 breaks in on the darkness and it shines a penetrating ray of hope. He will bind up the brokenhearted. There's hope. There are many places in the Bible where God makes promises to the brokenhearted. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to them that are of a broken heart. The Lord is near to them that are of a broken heart. And save such 
as be of contrite spirit. Now, this is talking about that one that's poor of spirit, that one that has been rendered helpless and admits it, and God is near that person. In Psalm 57, uh, 51, 17, he promises not to despise anybody with a broken heart. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart, uh, spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise these things. And that word despise means to think little of, to not really pay attention to. God will pay attention to those people. And he promises in a, a Psalm 147.3, he heals the broken in heart and he binds up their, their wounds. It's, it's kind of like a theme that runs through the scriptures. He's a healer of brokenheartedness. And he won't allow the brokenhearted to be destroyed. I love this. Isaiah 42.3, a bruised reed shall he not break and the smoking flax he shall not quench. He doesn't extinguish the suffering, the one that's broken. And he promises to stay with the brokenhearted. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. <laughs> that is a promise. Isaiah 41.10. And his promise to revive the brokenhearted is one of the most comforting pieces of scripture found in Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and exalted one. He's God, right? The creator of the heavens and the earth. Who lives forever. He's eternal. Whose name is holy. Uh, he can't even look on sin. I dwell on high and a holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit. In order that, or so that, I can revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. He thrills to take that brokenness and to bind it and to bring it back together. <laughs> this is hope, people. This is hope. I don't care how much you're suffering. He can put it back together. Whatever it is, he can do that, and he thrills to do that as God. As we're back to the truth of Isaiah's words in chapter 61, there is great hope to those who are seriously in trouble, but only as they are willing to honestly admit their need. He meets us to the degree that we confess our neediness. Think about that for a second. If you're only willing to admit a little bit of neediness, he'll meet you right there. But believe me, the pain will continue until you're ready to give it all. And then he'll meet it all. And then you begin your eternal life with him, moving forward from that point on. <laughs> this is a great God. And I want to talk just a little bit for the one who was sent to the brokenhearted. And I want you to just keep this in mind. There's three words. He is able. He is able. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, the servant of God said, because the Lord has sent me, he has anointed me 
to bring good news to you, afflict it. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Now, this one identified in Isaiah 61.1 is said to have been anointed. Now, there are a lot of other biblical passages that assure us that this is Jesus Christ, the anointed one. In fact, the word Messiah means the anointed one, okay? And so the Hebrew, Mashiach, is used of him in Daniel 9, 25 and 26. And he was designated and empowered to carry out the Father's assignment. And we read in Psalm 45, 7, a text quoted referring to the Messiah in Hebrews uh, 1, 9. Listen to this. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. He's speaking of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And John 1.41 says, when Andrew, remember when Andrew discovered that Jesus was Messiah, he's the brother of Simon, it says he found first his own brother Simon, and this is what he said to him, quote, we found the Messiah. And then John, as he often does in his gospel, he gives an editorial note. I love John. He says, we found the Messiah. And then in parentheses and back of that in the Bible, John explains, which translated means Christ, the anointed one, (laughs) in case we had any doubts. So we're talking about Jesus here. The anointed one of Isaiah 61 is Jesus. But the anointed one was sent. He wasn't only anointed, he was sent by his father. God specifically sent one who is perfectly suited to his mission. He's acquainted with sorrow and pain. Isaiah says of him in Isaiah 53, he was despised. That means not taken seriously. As one that doesn't even count. Think of Jesus' life on earth. He was rejected. He was abandoned and forsaken and cast off and cast away. When he got arrested in the garden... He was all alone. His disciples all left him. And he knew sorrow. He suffered pain and physical and mental and emotional and spiritual stress. Sweating great drops of blood as he anticipated what he was about to do. And he understood grief, deep sadness and torment. It's all summarized in Hebrews 4.15 where the text identifies him as this, for we do not have a high priest, that would be Jesus, who's unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations. There is no temptation that has taken you but such as is common to man and Christ knows how to deal with those. Every one of them. But one high priest, Jesus, who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human, in every respect as we are, present tense, yet without committing any sin. He never sinned. He was tempted so he can help us in the time and the hour of our temptation. Now what does it mean to bind up a broken heart? Well, I've got some insight here that many of you don't have. Some of you do because you're doctors. I'm looking at Amos right now. (laughs) Some of you know this, and some of you are nurses, so you, you know a little bit about medicine, but I know something about primitive medicine and medicine that is practiced where there is no doctor or nurses. They're called shamans or healers. 
And I think the kind of medicine that I saw practiced in Indonesia is very close to the kind of medicine that the Bible talks about, especially in Isaiah's day. You see, the people that live in that kind of a reality, Isaiah's day, and, and the tribal people that we worked with, they live in deep, deep, deep fear of sin, or of disease. And I believe that, that that kind of primitive medicine that we observed in Indonesia would be like the kind of medicine practiced during Isaiah's day. Because we would witness a healer come and take care of a wound, like a machete, a, a mistaken swipe with a machete, slicing an arm or a head. We had those too. Those were gross. But they would come, and what they would do is they'd take all sorts of um, herbs and, and plants and things like that, and this might gross you out, but this is the power of a shaman. He'd spit, or she would spit on them and mix them up, and then she'd place a poultice on, on the wound and then very carefully wrap that wound, okay? Now, this is what I'm talking about here, Okay? The tribal person that had the wound was scared to death. Why? Because he's seen relatives and friends die from such things. Infection comes in. They didn't have antibiotics or anything like that. And not all the time, even though somebody takes care of you like that, do you make it. And they know that. And they were fearful of dying. But as that healer would put the medicine on the person, they were touching the person. There is human contact. And even though this is all pagan stuff, right? You could almost see the fear evaporate on the person as the healer was helping them. Because there was human contact. There was, there was comfort taking place as they were putting the poultice on and as they were wrapping the person. I want you to think about Jesus Christ for a minute. Do you think he'd be any less soothing and comforting as he binds up your broken heart? To get to the point where you let him. <laughs> now, if that fool of a tribal person would run around going, oh, man, I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding, and, and the, the healer is not going to run after them. They have to go to the healer and say, help me. But see, you have to have your pride broken before you can say, help me. I told you, this is deep stuff. This is stuff that we don't talk about around the kitchen table. Jesus is gentle. We don't have a high priest that can't sympathize with our weaknesses. There's nothing we need to be ashamed of before him. He knows it all. He created us. Surely our griefs... He himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Yeah. That's amazing. There's no one like Jesus. No one like Jesus. It was Jesus who called out, saying, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. But you have to come to him. You have to go to him. Job 5.18 says this. He makes sore 
and binds up. He wounds and his hands make whole. Now we're entering into even a deeper level here in the sovereignty of God. Do these things happen to you just... It's a coincidence that you're brokenhearted? Or does he know that you would be brokenhearted? Could he possibly have even brought some of this into your life so that you would repent and give up your life to him who is your Lord because he loves you? So this is what binding up means. And the metaphor is appropriate and it's Jesus, the promised Messiah, that is born to bind up the brokenhearted. But it's only those who are contrite in spirit and of a broken heart that receive the healing hands. And as long as a person refuses to embrace their own spiritual brokenness, they're unable to receive the only one that can heal them. As long as they reject Jesus, their hearts will remain broken and they will continue to suffer under the burden of their own condition. Now, whether you have a broken heart because you have never come humbly before God to ask him for his forgiveness through Jesus Christ, or maybe you are a believer whose heart has been broken through the difficulties of life. We still live in a sin-cursed body, in a sin-cursed world, and so we can experience brokenheartedness also even as believers. Oh, the betrayal of friends cuts deep whether you're saved or unsaved. There's many reasons, and our own sin brings us pretty low sometimes, doesn't it? So what about believers? Well, even after a person has believed in the truth of the gospel, they can still experience a broken heart, but it's going to be different. It'll be different for the believer. Whereas before, the broken heart reflected their broken relationship with God. I loved it when the little girls were giving their their talk this morning, they were talking about in the garden, um, man had fellowship with God and they held hands. And they said, but then sin entered in and they, they broke apart and stood apart from each other. Just real clear, okay? Once we had relationship with God, Adam and Eve, before they sinned, when they sinned, all bets were off. There was a chasm between God and man because of sin. And that's what Jesus wants to come and reestablish, right? So, a believer can still experience deep grief as a believer. The Bible refers to a lot of those experiences with the word affliction. It seems to represent that the Christian feels when their, their hearts are broken, they're afflicted. And it's in and through these afflictions that Jesus becomes nearer, still nearer, and and even deeper knowledge of our Savior is experienced through our suffering. We're reading a book right now for our Bible study on Wednesday nights called The Cup and the Glory that talks exactly about this. You see, remember Professor Sitzer's words that such brokenness will either transform us or destroy us. I've met bitter Christians that even stopped going to church because they just couldn't deal with it. I pray almost daily, for a tribal man who was an elder in the church. And he lost his younger brother at sea, who was an evangelist, left five children, and this elder did not understand the sovereignty of God, that God controls everything, and that God was not surprised by his younger brother's death. He couldn't grasp that, and he became bitter. And that root of bitterness sprung up in his heart, 
and he is no longer an elder and hasn't been for probably almost 25 years now. And he's caused no end of problem. I believe he's a believer. That he's got a broken heart. And I wish he could hear this sermon. Our response to these heartbreaking experiences determine which it will be, transformation or destruction. Now I want you to turn in your Bible to uh, Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And this has been a great encouragement for me uh, through the years. I love the Psalms and I love Proverbs. Um, I've read through them so, so many times. Turn to Psalm 119, verse 50. And you shouldn't be afraid to mark your Bible, so I'm going to tell you to circle these verses for the next time that you're feeling really, really low. Okay, Psalm 119, verse 50 reads this way. This is my comfort in my afflictions, that your word has revived me. Your word has revived me. The word of God is able to revive us. Go to the word of God when you're feeling really low. It's the last place you want to go. I, I think that's because of the, the sin that still dwells within us. We, we, we push back against reading the word of God. Even if it doesn't make any sense to you as you're reading it, just keep reading. <laughs> And keep reading and keep reading and keep reading until light breaks through, okay? Because we're told here, it's his word that will revive us. And then I want you to go to verse 67 and circle that one. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Sometimes our afflictions will bring us back to God and reestablish us. This is what I was talking about. I'm talking to believers now. And that, that trouble that is just breaking us down is to reconnect us with that sweet fellowship that we had with God. And then go to verse 71. Circle that one. It's good for me that I was afflicted. Why? So that I might learn your precepts. I might understand your ways better. It's good that you busted my chops. It's good that you spanked me really hard. Thank you, God. That's the good response. That's the one that will transform you more and more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And then verse 75, circle that one. I know, O Lord, or Yahweh, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness... You have afflicted me. Oh, oh, there we go. There's God afflicting us. I thought God's a God of love. He is. Did your father ever spank you? Did he always do it out of anger? Weren't there some times where he was trying to teach you something? And even maybe out of his anger, he's trying to teach you? Don't bother him. <laughs> Afflictions can be to teach us. And he says, I'm glad that I was afflicted. You're righteous, and, and your afflictions have taught me something. Now I've learned your precepts. And in faithfulness, you've afflicted me. And the last one, I want you to go to Psalm 119, verse 92. Circle that one. If your law had not been my delight, 
then I would have perished in my affliction. There's a testimony. The psalmist is saying, it was so heavy, but your word was so reviving to me. And if I didn't have your word, the law, if I didn't have your word, I would have perished. I would have perished. God is able to take the brokenhearted and bring them hope. Charles Spurgeon once wrote about it like this. Listen to this quote. Quote, heart-rending is divinely wrought and solemnly felt. It is a secret grief that is personally experienced, not in mere form, but as a deep, soul-moving work of the Holy Spirit on the innermost heart of a believer. It is not a matter to be merely talked about and believed in, but keenly and sensitively felt in every living child of the living God. So if you haven't experienced this kind of heart-wrenching that God brings about, he will, because he's a faithful father. And it is powerfully humiliating and completely sin-purging. It purifies. Now listen to this. But then... It is sweetly preparative for those gracious consolations which proud, unhumbled spirits are unable to receive. And it is distinctly discriminating for it belongs to the elect of God and to them alone. Only for believers, this this deep work that he does in the heart. Misery, mourning, weeping, loosen our grip on this world with all of its temptations and trials. And and each time we let go, we die a little more to ourselves and a little more of the reality of what is already ours in Christ becomes known to us. The eternal realm of rest and resurrection becomes manifest in our hearts. There is nothing more comforting, believe me, there is nothing more comforting than melting into the arms of Jesus With tears of repentance, there is nothing like it. You did it when you first believed. And you can do it now if you need to. And if you haven't believed, climb up onto his lap and ask him to forgive you. He will. He will. I can guarantee that. Transformation from brokenness to wholeness is possible when Jesus binds up the broken heart. David David sang of it in Psalm 30. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing, and you have removed my clothes of mourning and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So here's my... Christmas message for you today. Jesus has come to bind up the brokenhearted. And whether you're a believer or one who has not yet come to that conviction, the truth is the same. Jesus binds up the brokenhearted. And I only have one question for you this morning. Will you let him put the pieces of your broken heart back together again? Will you receive this joyful Christmas message prophesied by Isaiah over thousands of years ago And will you humble yourself enough to admit your own personal poverty and inability to cope and yield to Jesus Christ? Do you know why? 
because a child was born on Christmas morning. That's what we celebrate. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we stand amazed at Isaiah's words, such a, such a prophet, so filled with, with hope and, and with just a coaxing of those who have gone wrong, who are suffering with broken hearts, to come. Those that are weary and burdened, and he will give them rest. He promises it, and he is God. He is not a man that he can lie. It's true. So, Father, I pray that your word would have its fruition in hearts today. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.